Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jeff Lettington, and today I have the opportunity to sit down with Kevin Harney. Kevin is the visionary leader and founder of Organic Outreach International, and he also serves as the lead pastor at Shoreline Community Church in Monterey. Through Kevin's writing, speaking, and coaching, he serves whole Christian movements, denominations, and local churches both nationally and around the globe. Kevin, along with his wife Sherry, wrote the trilogy of Organic Outreach books, and Kevin has authored many others. Kevin is here with me today. So Kevin, welcome. First of all, thank you. And can you just tell us, uh, really, what caused you to write that book? Well, first, it's a joy to be here. Thank you for the privilege. Mm. And anytime I can talk about God's Word and how it intersects with life, it's a joy for me. And, and what prompted the writing of this book was just watching people and seeing people kind of drifting towards one or two different ways of living, both of which I think aren't very healthy. Uh, one is this attitude like, I'm powerful. I can do it. It's all about me. I am strong. I am somebody. I'm, you know, and it's sort of this this psych myself up, pump myself up, talk, you know, positive talk, and I can do it. And I think there's elements of our world that say it's all about you. Mm. So people, people walk around with this, I'm powerful, I can do it. And I don't think that that's a, a biblical worldview. I don't think it's a helpful worldview uh, because we can't do anything in our own power. And this power, this, I'm powerful because of me. Mm. The other end of that continuum is, I think, just as bad, and that's I'm powerless. We live in a day where almost where victimization is almost praised mm -hmm. and people are almost listing, I'm a victim because of this, this, this. And, and it's, it's kind of a strange upside down way of thinking that there's, you know, strength in victimization or right. that we flaunt our powerlessness. And I don't think that's a biblical point of view either, that we walk around and just saying, I'm a worm, I'm a nothing, I can't do anything. So I started thinking, well, is there, is there a way to walk between those two extremes? Mm -hmm. And I think the way to walk between those two extremes is the way of Jesus. And that is to say, I'm empowered by the presence of God Almighty. So I can walk in power. I don't have to be powerless. I'm not powerful in my own strength, but I, I walk in the power of the living God, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And if we can get that right, I think we can walk a life of strength and hope, but with the humility that we know where it comes from. And you write the book in four sections, experiencing God's presence in suffering, loss, and pain, encountering God in the community of his people, empowered by the journey by receiving God's rest and being propelled onward by the call and mission of God. So those are the four major sections and in that you break down uh, what's the powerless res or powerful response, what's the powerless response and what's the empowered response. Can you just give me kind of a, a high altitude flyby of those four sections and what those, what those are about? Yeah, I often think about how the more the world changes, the more it stays the same. And mm -hmm. so you look at the biblical stories and they teach a narrative of real life because these are real people walking through real life. And so our stories today look very much like their stories. So in every section of the book, I have five chapters that are looking at a biblical passage or person and how it ties into kind of real life today. And then there's always the last chapter is always about Jesus. Right. Because Jesus walked in the power of the Spirit. Jesus was, Jesus as perfect God um, manifested that power and shows us how to live our lives. And so we look at Jesus as an example. So the first section, experiencing God's presence in suffering, loss, and pain. I kind of decided to start with the bad news. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, but but, but it's, not, it's not surprising news to anybody because when you talk with, when you talk with people, when I talk with people, whether, whether they're young, new Christians or longtime believers, and I, and I say, you know, tell me about when you most encountered the presence 
and the mm. power and the glory of God. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times they'll tell a story of deep loss, of deep heartache, of deep pain, of, of heart-wrenching suffering. And they'll say, but in the midst of all of this, I pressed on and made it through because of the power of God. The mm, Spirit of God good. swept into my home, into my heart, into my marriage, um, into my loneliness by myself. And in that place of pain and struggle, I was empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I have heard that story a thousand times over, told different ways and different journeys. And so I began the book with these six chapters about being empowered by God's presence of suffering, loss, and pain. Because I think most people are going to go, yes, sure. I understand that. So, yeah. So in there, I, I talk about Job. I talk about the Apostle Paul, who said, five times I received the 40 lashes less one. He had 195 scars on his body for standing up for Jesus. But God was with him. The Father was with him in the midst of all of that. And so uh, you know, Hannah's sorrow and tears. And so, so different biblical characters, and in their suffering and pain, God showed up. So, so when you read those chapters, you can just get a sense of, Yes, we meet God in these times. And then they're redemptive, they're powerful. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the first section. Second section, encountering God in the community of his people. Uh, I believe we meet God when we're interacting with others. I, you know, I sit here with you doing this right. podcast, talking with you. God's here with us. Yes. You gather for worship with God's people in the community of God's people, God shows up. You know, there's the where two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst. But, but that's not just a, like, a, like a bumper sticker or a little plaque for your dining room wall. It's true. Yeah. When God's people are together in community, God's there. So we experience God's presence and God's power when we're together in community. And so I talk about the paralytic being carried by his right. friends to Jesus, empowered, lifted up by the friends, and in that he encounters Jesus. So stories of, of people connecting in our own lives in community experiencing God's presence. The third section, empowered for the journey by receiving God's rest. Uh, we are not good in our culture at resting. No. I'm a pastor, you're a pastor, a pastors work hard, drive hard. It's not a one day a week thing like some right. people erroneously suppose. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, the, the, the door's kind of always open. The, right. the phone line's always open. And so, you know, God says, I am a God of work. God worked for six days making the heavens and the earth. And then God says, and I am a God of rest. And so on the seventh day, God rests. I remember thinking about that when I was a young Christian going, why would God rest? He's all powerful. He's not right. exhausted. I mean, man, I work for six days. I'm exhausted. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> That's not God. Right. And then I finally realized, well, God rests on the seventh day to say to his children, look at your daddy. Yeah. Learn from me. I'm God Almighty. And after six days, I rested. So there's a rhythm of rest. There's a call to, to let our souls be refreshed by God's goodness. And so God uh, empowers us by a rhythm of rest in our lives. And if you need that, boy, these chapters give pictures of how God calls us to that place of rest. And then the, four, the fourth and final uh, section of the book is propelled onward by the call and the mission of God. Uh, when you hear God speak, when you hear God call, you're empowered. Yeah. If you wake up and say, I don't know what today's for. I don't know why I'm alive. If, if you're a Christian and you say, it's just another day and I don't have a sense of mission or vision or yeah. God's direction for my life, it's easy to feel powerless if you say, I'm all about my mission, it's easy to think you're powerful. Sure. But when you hear God's call, you're empowered because God is saying, this is my mission, this is my call. And I believe every Christian, mm -hmm. uh, this is not, you know, a calling from God isn't just for pastors. Right. It's for every Christian. It's not for one moment, it's for every day. Sure. I think if we say, God, what do you have for me today? Who would you have me love? Who would you have me serve? How would you have me live? And you wait on this Holy Spirit and you read the scriptures, God's going to give you a mission for the day. Yeah. And now you're empowered by that mission and the Spirit fills you. That's great. 
So two, uh, probably for really obvious reasons, you know my wife and I, you know us fairly well, and, and those listening may indeed. The two sections that were the most powerful for me were obviously experiencing God in presence, uh, God's presence in suffering, loss, and pain, uh, with Lisa's health and, and some of the things that we've been through. We've experienced that, but we exactly what you said, the story, the story you shared earlier, the, the comment that you made earlier, we, if you asked us where God had shown up in our lives over our history, we would point to times of suffering, loss, and pain. And uh, you tell a story, you use the biblical character Job, and then you tell the story of a man I've had the privilege of meeting but don't know well, uh, uh, but you do, and it's Jerry Sitzer. And you, you share a bit of his story. Can you, can you kind of tell a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Some people, even non-Christians, there's kind of colloquial terms. If somebody's gone through horrific suffering, they'll say, oh, you're like a modern-day Job. Right. Oh, you're suffering like Job. Even people who aren't Bible people or aren't even Christians, oh, you're like a Job. It's just kind of part of people's thinking. Sure. Somebody who suffered tremendously. And obviously in Job's story, he lost everything in a matter of moments and days yeah. and heart-wrenching. And, and so uh, somebody who, oh, I know, who I know and I've inter- I brought him in for a conference. I got to know Jerry some. I'm not, I'm not a hangout with him kind of friend, but I know him well enough to know his story. I've read the book he wrote about his journey. But uh, very simply put, Jerry's story is as a professor, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, uh, he was going with his family, driving with his family, and uh, on this kind of lonely highway area and a car coming the other direction, a van uh, veered out of control, came across the center median and hit his car. And in literally in moments, he lost his mother, his wife, and one of his daughters, three generations of the women in his family uh, in front of his own eyes. And went on from there to just continue walking with Jesus, working hard, becoming mother and father. I actually said to him, Jerry, I said, do you ever think about remarrying? It had been a number of years. And he said, you know, when my kids are grown, I might be open to that. But for now, they need their dad to be their dad and they need their dad to be their mom. Mm. And he, uh, he was reading books on sewing. Yeah. He was reading cookbooks. He said, I am going to love my family. He, uh, uh, honorable, courageous man. Uh, but people would say to him, Jerry, you've suffered worse than anybody I could imagine. And here it was interesting. He would actually say and respond to people. He would say, you know, my suffering is my suffering. Yeah. It's not worse than anybody else's suffering. It's just different. And he says, for instance, there's people who have a loved one who gets cancer. And they, they walk for three or four years through cancer. He said, that's a different kind of suffering. He says, my life was one way one moment. And the next moment it was another way. Right. And overnight my life changed. It was torturous and painful. He said, but, but God was there with me and I knew my new reality. There's other people who, who wander, you know, your, your journey with Lisa is not over days or weeks. It's not over an instant. It's over years. And, and so your suffering and your journey is yours. Jerry Sitchers is his, yeah. you know, mine is mine. My, my wife lost her younger brother in the last right. month and we've walked through that together. That's her journey, her suffering, our family's suffering. And so one of the things that I love that Jerry said is don't compare your suffering to anybody else's right. suffering. Let God be God to you and let him empower you in your suffering. God walked with Job through all that he walked through and he'll walk through our suffering with us. And in that we can find, and again, in those moments, we're not powerful in and of ourselves. We're not powerless. There's nothing I can do. If we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, like Job walked through it, like you and Lisa are walking through it, Mm -hmm. like my wife Sherry's walking through it, like Jerry Sitcher has walked through it, in God's power, we can make it through because we're empowered by his presence. Amen. 
That's one of the things Lisa and I have taken away, and I, I think it's in a grace disguised by Jerry Sitzer, is, is not to compare. And you make that point in that chapter. And so, we'll, you know, if we get into sharing our story and people will hear about Lisa's, you know, it's, we're coming up on two decades of health struggles that are, that are often bedridden, right, a lot of times. So people will share, want to share their story with us, and they'll say, well, it's not like, it's not as bad as your, and listen, suffering, suffering, right? We don't compare, and that is one of the, just a profound lesson uh, that Lisa and I have learned. Let's move to, the, uh, to another section uh, when you talk about rest. And so I said I have two sections. One, suffering, loss, and pain because it has both blessed me and been a reality in my life, but also rest. And I'm going to go back to the very thing you said. As pastors, we are forever busy. It's a seven-day-a-week job. Uh, we have to be intentional about rest, about Sabbath. You made the comment about God resting on the Sabbath, right? God creating that seventh day to rest to that Jesus did that. You know, I'll ask you a question about that in a second, but... One of the, uh, in studying Sabbath uh, and rest, one of the things I learned that just stood in my mind was that God created the Sabbath before sin entered into human history. That this was design, that this, we are made this, not fallen and need this, made this way. And God modeled that for us. You talk about Jesus and you take us through a day in the life of Jesus, a, a day of ministry. When, when people read this, it looks like a busy day. We, for, as pastors, we read this and go, yep. That looks like a day in ministry to me. And then you talk about his rhythms. Can you, can you just share a bit about yeah. that? Yeah, in Mark chapter 1, we get, I think it's probably the most comprehensive picture of one day. And we know because of the way it's written it, that this is all happening in the flow of one day. And so Jesus is doing ministry. He's in the synagogue. He's preaching. He's teaching. Uh, he goes to a home, and there's a person in need who's sick. Can, you know, he ministers there. Uh, it's it's this, when the Sabbath day comes to an end, the crowd literally descends on this house, and it's kind of like a revival meeting. Right. I mean, Jesus is, is uh, he's casting out demons, he's healing, he's teaching, people are gathered, and it's just like this amazing thing. And the sense is it goes kind of late, late into the evening, and then early the next morning, yeah. uh, when everyone else is still crashed out because they're exhausted, Jesus gets up, and it's not showy, it's not a performance. Here's Jesus, God in human flesh, the all-powerful one, and he goes off to a quiet place alone. He seeks the face of the Father. And one of the things that has struck me for years is if Jesus needed time to just wait quietly before the Father, how much more do I? <laughs> right? right? I, mean, uh, I, yeah. I and, and so I'm not so powerful I can make it through a week on my own. I'm not powerless. I can't do anything. If I walk in the power of the Spirit, I can, I can take that rhythm of, and, and, and for me, for most weeks, the rhythm of Sabbath is six days of work, one day of rest. Some people mm -hmm. do five days of work, two days of rest. I'm kind of a six days of work, yeah. one day. I, I love my work. I sure. love preaching, teaching, being a pastor. I love writing. I love, I love what I do. So, but, but in the rhythm of my week, there's a one in seven rhythm mm -hmm. where I follow the teaching of Jesus. I follow the, 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 the Ten Commandments that says to honor the Sabbath day by keeping yep. it holy. I honor the example of my heavenly Father who after mm. six days of labor rested and I disconnect. And, and one of the things I do is I try to disconnect from technology. Yeah. I, I actually take my phone and I have four email accounts that stream in from different things. Uh, three of them actually somebody helps me with and manages for me, but they all eventually stuff comes to me. But I turn off all three except for basically for my wife and my kids and my closest friends. And I just have to let my soul slow down and to rest. And, and I think that's, and, and you know what? I'm empowered by resting. Yeah. 
Some people think, boy, if I rest, I'm wasting time. This is one of the things I love about, about the Bible is it paints these, these stories and pictures that show us how the universe works. I love, this, I love the story, the account in the Old Testament where God's people are in the wilderness and God provides manna. Mm-hmm. And he says, six days you collect the manna, but on the seventh day, you know, there's a sense of resting. Mm-hmm. And so uh, people weren't trusting God, so they were trying to stockpile the manna. Right. And I love, I love the way the Bible says it, the, tra- the, the NIV translation says, when they opened up the manna that they shouldn't have saved, it says it was, <laughs> it was maggoty. It was yeah. filled with maggots. And it, and, and it reeked. I love it. Maggoty and reeked. For all your listeners, let's right? say that together. Maggoty and it reeked. <laughs> uh, and, and the point is, God is saying, you're not trusting me. Right. You're not trusting me. I'll provide every day what you need. But then the seventh day, God says, don't go out and collect the manna because it's not going to be there. The day before you save it. You double up on your manna the day before the Sabbath day. So you got to imagine now after they tried to save it when they shouldn't and they opened it and it was reeky and maggoty. <laughs> so now they collect double and the next day they got to be kind of opening it with their nose sure. pinched because they're like, and it's fresh and good. Mm. And God says, okay, you double, you double up on the wrong day. It's horrible, but you double up what I tell you to. I'll provide what you need. If you labor hard for six days and mm. rest for one I'll provide for you. And I believe that we will get more done in six days of meaningful labor and one day of rest because we're empowered by his presence on that day than if we work seven days a week. Man, that's, that's powerful. And the, and the image of manna is so good. There's a, I'm not sure if it's the verse in Mark, uh, but one of the verses that talks about Jesus getting up early before the sunrise, it says, as was his habit. He would go off to pray, as was his habit. And there's just such a sense that we need to create rhythms or habits, or however you want to say that, that we need to create these things that if God did it, then it was important enough for him to do to show us. If Jesus did it, like you said, to, to your point, if Jesus needed to do it, how much more do we? And so there are these rhythms, these habits. And some of that, you write the book with a rhythm. Yeah, so it's really set up to be each section of the book is a week. And so you read five characters for the Bible or texts of the Bible for the first five days. And then the weekend, you let Jesus kind of guide you through that topic and that theme. And every chapter of the book will kind of finish by saying, here's how powerful people would mm-hmm. come at this. Here's how powerless people would come at it. But here's how an empowered person would live out their life. And it kind of gives people that journey of how they can live out their life in a way that really has that balance and that, and that sustainable power that only God can give us. Because when God's filling us, we don't run short. And so uh, that, that's the rhythm of the book. And then at the end of each chapter, I kind of let the character in the chapter speak mm-hmm. and kind of speak into our lives. And kind of, well, if they were here right now, if Job were here, what would he say to people that are trying to be powerful? What would he say to people who are powerless? And Job would say, you know, I kind of thought I knew what it was like to be powerful. I was a righteous person doing pretty well. I could have been seen as a victim. I could have been. But what I realized was by walking in the presence of God, I was powerful to make it through a epically horrific, painful season. And at the end, to say, uh, I've beheld the Lord through all of this. Yeah. So again, when I began to read it, I wanted to read what you had written. I knew you and I uh, know you and wanted to understand what you were writing and the content. So I started reading through it. And what I, what I learned by the end of the first section is this is not, this isn't the way you wrote it. This isn't the intention. Slowing down, going back through, letting not just the, you know, the biblical character and narrative speak 
and then Jesus speak. But then there's further verses to read. There's prayers to pray. There's questions to reflect on. And in order to, to live an empowered life, in order to be an empowered person, empowered by the presence of God, it really does take slowing down and letting God speak. Kevin, thank you so much. Uh, you are a you are a prolific writer. You, you have written many things. Reading your, your writings, the different books that you've written, are all easy to read. And you use this language or, or with organic outreach. You use this language that you take complex things and you write them in easy-to-understand ways. And I would just affirm you do that when speaking and you do that when, with writing. And this book right here is a great example of that. If people are willing to take the time, if they want to not be powerful in their own strength, if they don't want to be victims and be powerless, but they want to be empowered by God, the way we're designed to live, this book will help get them there. So thank you. Thank you for writing. Thank you for being my friend. You've been a friend and a mentor, and I appreciate you. It's a pleasure, and uh, I pray you walk an empowered life. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to pick up a copy of Empowered by His Presence, receiving the strength you need each day, you can do so on Amazon.com. And for more information about Kevin Harney and his many resources, you can go to kevinharney.com. That's K-E-V-I-N-H-A-R-N-E-Y.com. God bless you and thank you. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.com.